0: We're gonna be in the powerful book of Romans today, Romans 13, and I wanna illustrate in this way this morning as we get started. Many years ago, way out in the country, there lived a young boy in a home without plumbing. Anybody willing to admit it? Okay, there's a few. All right, good. These are the people that are happy when they go to any of the restrooms in the church, right, because you remember what? It was a home without plumbing and so they had what was called an outhouse. And this outhouse was some distance from the boy's home. And it it sat close to a steep ledge that overlooked a creek and the young boy hated to walk cold rain, mud, snow, wind. When you had to go, you had to go. Uh, parents, if your kids are wondering what I'm talking about, this is a good parental lesson. You can tell them what an outhouse is. I'm sure you've seen a picture in a book before, okay? But anyway, this boy got, grew more and more frustrated, and on one occasion, his frustration got the best of him, and he made a reckless choice. He shoved that rickety outhouse off the ledge and into the creek down below. Oops, reckless, bad choice. Later that day, his father approached him with a very serious look on his face. He said, son, and the boy sheepishly replied, yes, dad. Did you push the outhouse off the ledge and into the creek? The son hung his head in shame and said, yes, sir, daddy, I did it. Well, then the father began to pronounce The punishment, you guys ever experienced that in your life before? Whew! There wasn't no sparing the rod at our house when when I was little, right? Okay, so he began to share the punishment, what it would be, but the son interrupted him. He said, Daddy, wait, wait, Daddy. I learned something. I learned that when George Washington's father asked him if he cut down the cherry tree, he said, he told the truth. and He said, I did, I did. And then his father didn't punish him. I told the truth, I shouldn't be punished either. To which his father replied, yes, but George Washington's father wasn't in the cherry tree when he cut it down. (laughs) Think about it for a minute. Choices, recklessness, some of y'all still don't get it. Wow, would you tell your neighbor that the dad was in the outhouse? All right, boom, okay. We make choices all the time and sometimes we're, impulsive and reckless, and we lack self-control. But I want to tell you today, there's a phrase that we need to accept and we need to work on today, and the phrase is this, mastering our passions. If there was a subtitle for this sermon, it would be mastering our passions. Passions aren't necessarily bad, but passions can get bad in a hurry. You know what I'm saying? And this mastering of passions is an impossible task without God cultivating self-control in our lives. You see, all of us are tempted. Don't come to me and say, I'm not tempted. If you're a human being, you're tempted. All of us are tempted, but not all of us are tempted in the same way. Some struggle with sexual passion. Some struggle with food. Others are plunged into debt. Lacking restraint in purchasing. Still others drink themselves into oblivion. And still others take drugs to dull their awareness of a painful world. I don't know what it is for you, but we're tempted. And our passions can get us into trouble. And self-control cultivated by God needs to happen in our life. We live in a difficult, reckless world. Yet scripture is clear. Unless we master our passions with the Lord's help, they will master us. Perhaps you're thinking of a friend or a sibling or a child that has been mastered by their passions. We want you to remember to pray for them, perhaps throughout this sermon, and remember that. We're gonna quote one more time, Galatians 5, and 23. It's gonna be up on the screens. Would you uh, recite that with me, ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Remember, what we're looking at today is an attribute of the fruit of the Spirit, and that denotes something that's active, the offspring, the yield, the harvest, the outcome, the produce. And remember, you're probably tired of me saying it, but it's the Holy Spirit's fruit in us. It's the indwelling Holy Spirit in us that cultivates this. The big idea today is we are to exhibit a self-controlled life, which is the result of the Holy Spirit in us. Let's just look at the last few verses of Romans 13, Romans 13, we're going to start in verse 11, besides this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord, Jesus Christ, and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Let's pray. God you created us as passionate people. And God we acknowledge that we're sinners and sometimes our passions get out of control. And God my prayer today is that you would speak through your word, that we would understand that you stand ready to cultivate self-control in our lives and God we acknowledge today how winsome and attractive that would be the self-controlled spiritual lifestyle to folks who are going through life in our neighborhoods and all around our city so God help us teach us today God give us open hearts and minds in Jesus name we pray amen So Romans is a great book, is it not? In the first 11 chapters, we get theology, theology, theology. But in chapters 12 through 16, Paul shows us how people really need to see Christians. Christians who know how to live in light of all that theology. What good is theology if you don't know how to live in that? And so we see that in chapters 12 through 16. And in chapter 13, Paul reminds the Christians in Rome, and us today as well, about their duties towards uh, civic rulers, and and then spends some time in the middle of chapter. The ultimate primary duty, do you remember what it is? It's to love one another. Another way of saying that is to love one another your neighbor it's right there in the scripture in chapter 13 and then he goes on and gives timely instructions about mastering our passions about self-control and reminds us of something the time is urgent and so as we get started this morning i want to tell you you don't have time to wait let me not forget you guys over here you don't have time to wait you don't have time to wait The time is urgent. God is standing ready and willing to do a work in your life and my life and it begins today and I'm excited about that. So we're going to have four choices we're looking at today. In verse 11, let's look at choice number one. You decide, church. Choice number one is sleeping or awakening. Sleeping or awakening. Verse 11. Besides this, now that's all the stuff he just talked about, about love and all those things. But besides this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now that's one of those verses, I call that a duh duh verse. It's like, wait, I think I get it. I'm a day closer than I was yesterday. And I'm a lot of days closer than when I believed because that was quite a while back. But there's so much more to that. You see, Paul is writing and reminding us that the time is short. The fact is that the fullness of the kingdom is upon us right now. It's not something that when you get to heaven, it's upon us right now. We're living in it as born-again Christians, and it calls for godly living, which we could define as self-control. Listen to 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct, and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. Do you believe the coming of the day of God or the day of the Lord? It's coming. It is coming. Don't don't tell me when, because you'll be breaking scripture there. You don't you don't know when I don't know when, but guess what? We're closer than we were yesterday. Amen. Amen. Some of you are like, please, Lord, come today. Yes. Let's go on with the scripture there in Second Peter. The heavens A description, the heavens will be on fire and will be dissolved because of it and the elements will melt with the heat. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will dwell. Think about that for a minute. That's the important phrase there. It's not new and new or what is it gonna be like or let me write a book about what I think it's gonna be. No, here's the key, righteousness will prevail. Can you imagine someday living Where you're surrounded by God's goodness? Tears are wiped away? No illness for some of you that are battling that right now? No sickness? No disease? No person annoying you? (laughs) Right? Okay. Wow. Where righteousness will dwell. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him And here's the condition, without spot or blemish. That's our goal, okay? So choice one is sleeping or awakening. You see, think about this for a minute. Have you observed this? I have. The world lives as though human history will continue forever. Have you noticed that? It's just wound up and here we go, right? But not so with the born-again Christian. The born-again Christian knows that God is the one who's in control and God is directing human history to a predetermined end. And the scripture tells us here, wake up. We are to wake up. Time is critical. We are to be wide awake. We are to be ready for action. That's what that word means. That phrase means every day brings us closer to that final day when all that we have anticipated in Jesus Christ will become a reality. The word time here is a unique word. It, there's more than one word for time in the Bible, New Testament, and here it means season. It means a strategic period of time, a critical juncture in the working out of God's design. Let me, let me impart this to you today, church. Please listen. This hour is not just an hour to gather together. This, even this hour is a critical juncture in the master plan of God's design. We know from scripture that God planned things for us to do before time began, before you were ever conceived, a twinkle in your mother's eye. And so being here is not an accident, amen? Look at the person next to you say, "Uh, not only are you not an accident, but being here, you're not an accident. Ready to go, just see. Did they growl at you? Yeah, I know. Some people won't do it. It's not. This is a critical juncture, just like it was when Paul wrote these words. And how about even more so now? Almost 2,000 years later. Wow. And it's clear here in this verse that we are not to sleep. Now, that word sleep is interesting. It refers to something. It refers to a picture. And here's the picture. I hate to tell you this, but this is what it is. A lethargic, non-aggressive, lazy Christian life. I'm not sleeping, really. Are you lethargic in your spiritual life? I'm not sleeping, really. Are you lazy in your Christian life? Are you too passive in your Christian life? God has prompted you to do something, and you have just, I'll wait. Let me forget about it, Lord. And he keeps bringing it up. Have you noticed that? He keeps bringing it up and bringing it up. So this choice is, uh, are you gonna be sleeping or is there gonna be an awakening? More than ever, we need a life of self-control in this present time. Since we have an opportunity in this present time to demonstrate faith in Christ and love for one another. Well, let's move on to verse 12. Look at choice number two. It's this, and this is a theme in the Bible, darkness or light. Darkness or light? Verse 12. The night is nearly over and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. My question here is this, a simple one that's been asked throughout the ages. How then should we live? How then should we live? What do we do about mastering our passions? Hmm. We have a choice. Darkness or light? Darkness or light. And the scripture makes an interesting command to us that we should follow through with, and it's this We're to discard the deeds of darkness. Well, we know the theme of darkness in the Bible, don't we? Darkness represents what? Evil. It represents evil. Darkness rep- represents things done under cover, the cover of darkness. It represents sins that are secret. It represents shame, hurt. And on and on and on. You see, self-control cultivated by God, helps us to eliminate these things. We can be about discarding the deeds of darkness. Some of y'all know John 3:16, right? I encourage you to read John 3:17 and 18 about condemnation, right? Gospels for everyone. Oh, but let's look at verses 19 and 20 today. John 3: 19 and 20 this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear you ready for this that his deeds will be exposed darkness light what a choice And this verse goes on to say we're to do something else. We're to put on the armor of light. It's as if we're to strip down and then use the armor that brings about the self-controlled life. The armor brings about the self-controlled life. Ephesians 6, the end of Ephesians 6, shows us what's armor? Put on the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. And let's not forget, we often forget about the supernatural resource of the armor wearer. It says it right there, prayer. Don't forget about that. That's the resource that helps with all the armor. So let me ask you today, are you choosing Darkness or light? It's a choice we make. Let's go on. Verse 13. Choice number three walking straight or walking crooked. Now, I have to give a disclaimer here. We're not talking about physical ailments, okay? I went to the doctor a couple years ago and he told me how tall I was, and I said, no. Well, it was the nurse actually. Measure again. So she did. And sure enough, I'm starting to do this. Okay? And I sometimes have a little hitch in the giddy up. Do you know what that is? Kids, you don't know what that is, but. Us older folks know what that is, right? All kinds of things. We're not talking about that. Like, how good is your posture? Can you put a book on your head or anything like that? We're we're talking about the spiritual life uh, and the moral life. We get a choice. It's part of self-control. Walking straight or walking crooked. And just so you guys don't think you're crooked, walking straight or walking crooked. Okay, good. Verse 13, take a look at it. Let us walk with decency, as in the daylight," do you remember what that is? The light? As in the daylight. "...not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy." Wow, what a power-packed verse. You see, mastering our passions continues on, and there's more choices. There's more choices. Let me tell you this. God did not wind you up when you were born as a robot and send you down a path with no variation at all. It would have been easier, but he didn't do that, and so those variations is where we have to really watch ourselves. And there's choice, there's choice, there's choice. You'll make choices today. You already have, you will. You see, we can live the self-controlled life by walking, according to scripture, in decency, in the light. Remember this about darkness. Darkness hides, but light discloses. You can see. Church, let me issue an imperative to you, a command to you. It is time for us to walk straight. I'm not a chiropractor, okay? I've never been one. What I mean by that is our self-controlled spiritual life. Walk straight. What does that mean? That means this. We should do that which is proper, that which is honorable, and that which is noble before our Creator. He gets the glory. He is the audience of one. What we do is not for others, although they may benefit, but it is for Him what is honorable, what is proper, what is noble. And then, in case you don't get it, like Paul is known to do, he gives three pairs of vices. Did you see that in this verse? They're pairs. I have the word and in in my Bible, maybe you do as well, but they go together. There's three pairs of vices. Number one is this. We could call it this, drunken carousing. This is the contrast to the self-controlled, spiritual life. Well, what does that mean? Well, it gives a picture of orgies. What it means is habitual, intentional intoxication. I think it's pretty clear. I don't think we need to comment on that too much. Uh, That's something that the born-again Christian should not be doing. The second uh, pair of vice is uh, sexual sin. What does that mean? It means unbridled lust. The word actually means sleeping from bed to bed outside of marriage. Let me just stop right here. Listen. To me, please, if you're online, listen closely. Scripture's clear. God invented sexual relations. One man, one woman in the context of marriage. Oh, but you don't know my situation. I don't need to know your situation. God knows your situation. And God is more than able to get you out of that situation until you are married and then do it properly. I thought I'd get some more amens. Husbands, that was your chance, man, all right. But it's a a strong picture of someone who's just going from bed to bed, okay? It also includes something else though. One commentator said it includes sensual dress. I've had a problem with the Olympics. Some of the outfits distract from the event. And I would say, ladies or guys, be careful in how you dress. And it includes all kinds of perversion. Sexual sin, it is a big thing. In fact, guess what? The ugliest word in the Greek language is used right there. It's a strong word. Now, some of you are going, hey, drunken carousing, not me. Sexual sin, not me. Oh, but there's more. Look at the third pair Of Isis. Do you see it? It's going to get us all, especially us holier-than-thou type folks. Jealous quarreling. That's hard to say, it's even harder to get rid of. Jealous quarreling, yes, these are included as acts of darkness. Unfortunately, the church is more tolerant towards sins such as this than the first two pairs. The picture here, it's a strong picture, this jealous quarreling. It's a picture of the constant activity that is happening before divorce or even worse, before manslaughter. That's the picture. What a contrast of these things to walking straight, walking in decency, in the light, self-control. These three pairs are an example for us of life that is devoid of godly self control. Let's move on to our fourth choice this morning. It's verse 14. And it's this. Put on Christ or put on the flesh. It's the choice. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy fleshly desires. You see, darkness is a scary, dangerous place. Darkness is a place of spiritual dullness, depravity, debauchery, and despair. The only way out of the deeds of darkness in verse 13 is to see the answer in verse 14. The answer is this, come to the light. Did you notice what he said? He said, the Lord Jesus Christ. He got it all in there on that one, didn't he? Not just Jesus, not just Christ, not just Lord, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ, that's the way to do it. To put on Christ is the answer. And new life in Christ stands diametrically opposed to the old life controlled by earthly passions, right? What does scripture say? We become what? A new creature, a new creation. What does scripture say about the old stuff? And behold, here's the new stuff. That is what God wants to continually do in our lives. And we're to put on Christ. It's the picture of clothing. Did you pick out what you're gonna wear today? Or guys, did your wife pick out what you're gonna wear today? I do pretty good, but occasionally, you know, um, you're gonna wear that, right? You've heard that before, yeah. But thankfully, we all made the choice to put on clothes today, amen? Just look at your row for a minute. You're like, thank you, Lord, for doing that. All right. Right, yes. But to clothe ourselves with Christ means more than just putting on clothes. Here's what it means. It means take off and dispose of the old clothing of sin. Take it off. Go burn it in the fireplace, if you will. It's not just putting on new clothes over old clothes. That's why we have such a difficulty with self-control and i do as well we put on christ over the old stuff now the pandemic let me illustrate this way the pandemic has messed up one thing for me I-, I go shopping sometimes anybody go shopping i'm a typical male i'm a hunter-gatherer i know what i need and i don't need to window shop i go right to the clearance section i know where it is they're easy market you have to go through all the expensive stuff to get to the back right? But a problem with this pandemic came in that they didn't have dressing rooms and wouldn't let you try on clothes, right? Why? To see if they fit. I got so tired of buying something, coming home, trying it on, taking it back, getting a refund because it didn't fit. Now, as you can see from this well-chiseled body, I have a very unique (laughs) set of clothing. Why are you laughing? Right here, right here. You people in the back can laugh and I don't quite hear you, but up front, I know who you are <laughs> and I see you. So I resorted to something, putting on clothes. Guess what? I would put the shirt on over the shirt. Now, if I had a T-shirt on, it worked out pretty well. But if I had this shirt on and I tried to put one like this on over, do you see how it was a problem? is it really fitting, is it too tight, what's going on, is it, can I gauge between whether, because I have this shirt on and a t-shirt on, whether it's fitting or not. It's a good example of what we do all the time. We put Christ on over it, is it fitting well, is it working out well, how do I feel, da-da-da-da-da. What we need to do is strip it off, get rid of it, and put him on. And the fit is perfect. This verse shows us we're to get rid of it and not even consider putting it back on. So what do our new clothes look like? Well, we are robed in Jesus' righteousness. Do you remember the verses from second Peter we read? What will prevail? The day of the Lord, eternity, righteousness will prevail. So when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are robed in Jesus' righteousness so that our heavenly Father never sees what we were but what we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Wow. We don't feed the flesh. We don't take jaunts back into the darkness. We don't love to lust. This is God cultivating self-control in our lives. And a famous verse some of you may have been thinking about already this morning is Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now there's been debate about what that means, but let's not debate that. Let's take what is clear right there. There is stuff for us to do every day if we're going to follow him. And it's getting rid of that stuff. And putting on the Lord Jesus Christ let me read it to you one more time then he said to them all if anyone wants to come with me he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me not follow your pastor not follow your friend not follow your favorite author not follow your church but follow Jesus now hopefully a lot of that lines up amen But follow him and do it daily, self control. So let me close in this way this morning. And I think it's appropriate as we close out on the fruit of the Spirit, these nine aspects of the Holy Spirit cultivating in our lives. Are you a Christian? That's the question I want to ask. And more appropriate, are you a born again Christian? If you wonder what that term means, there's a good chance you're not a born-again Christian. If you understand that and God has confirmed that in your life, you know exactly what we mean. We read from John 3 earlier, 19 and 20, about the light coming in the world and darkness. And we go back to John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And before that, this guy named Nicodemus, I call him Nick at night, he comes at night and he asks these questions, what must I, and Jesus talks about being born again and he doesn't get it. And people today in 2021 don't get it. It, You don't go back, just like Nicodemus says, you don't go back into your mother's womb and you're born again, it's talking about spiritual birth. We are once born into this world. You agree? If you're here and breathing, you should agree with that you agree with that, and then we have the opportunity because of God and him alone, he is the one who saves, he is the one who provides grace, he is the one who provides salvation, he gives the opportunity for us to repent, to turn from all this stuff, and to run to him and say, God, I don't understand it all, but I know I'm a sinner, will you forgive me? I recognize that you are the one who forgives, you are the one who saves, will you come into my life? Forgive me. Save me from all that stuff and be my Lord, boss, master, controller. Has that happened in your life? Notice I didn't say anything about Hoffentown Church. I didn't say anything about a baptismal date. I didn't say anything about mom or dad. It's us. And kids, you need to hear this as well. Have you done that in your life? It's about you, not mom and dad. Senior adult, have you done that? Have you resisted all these decades? Or have you done that? For by grace are you saved through faith, and it is a gift of God. In other words, I say, have you done that? Have you done that? But even the faith to be able to do that, what? Comes from God. He is such a good God and a loving God, the God of salvation. Scripture tells us he is tarrying, he is waiting, because there are more folks to become children of the king. He is patient, and he is loving. If he was Lamar, he would have zapped people into oblivion long ago, those dirty, rotten sinners. But we're all dirty, rotten sinners, but he gives us the faith to come to him. Has that happened to you in your life? Because self-control matters not if you're not a Christian. Have you been born again? Now, if we have that relationship, that personal relationship with Christ, we now have the power to do what God tells us to do, day in and day out. But just in case you think it's something magical, it's not. It's not a magical potion that automatically makes us holy. It's a daily struggle, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We work and work to be more like what we put on, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be completed and matured when Jesus comes back. What a glorious time that will be, amen? And so uh, we work towards that. And let's remember this, we working, it is the constant work of God cultivating self-control in us. He is the one at work. Are you receptive? Are you willing? Do you want to master your passions? Do you want to have a more controlled, consistent walk with God? Perhaps your life is out of whack today. Would you like the answer to that? It's light. It's walking straight with the spiritual life. It's being alert and awake. It's all these things. Ultimately, it's Jesus on me. Getting rid of the old stuff. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to do something a little different today. Now, when a preacher says he's going to do something diff- d- different, it makes him very vulnerable. Okay? I just do what the Lord has instructed me to do. Okay? We're going to have a different response time. I'm going to be down front. I think we're going to have friends right here. And another friend right over here. Jim will be here. Marty and Leslie be here. But I want to open up this front to prayer. So it's vulnerable for me, but it's also vulnerable for you. Because I'm going to ask that you might consider, if you're physically able, and you want, and you feel led to do that, that you would come up and just, whatever it is, in the area of self-control. I mean, if you got it all together, don't worry about it. But I'm not sure... <laughs> we have counseling on Monday, Wednesday, no, Um, that you would just come just briefly as a statement to the Lord. I come and I pray. You can be with one of us or by yourself, and I commit blank to you. I want to take that off and put you on. Let's pray. God, we pray for a move of your spirit right now I pray that everyone would be still, that nothing would distract, and I pray that the words from your scripture would penetrate us, and that we would realize that the time is urgent, and you desire us, and you will help us live the self-control life. God may we give up what is holding us back. God, I know what it is in my life. Each of us know if we're paying attention, as you speak into our heart right now. I pray for a response this morning, God, that we would just as an act of submission to you, would just quickly make a statement to you in prayer, that we would ask that you would help us release whatever it is and give to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.